Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Larry Kriesmer. I've got my partner, Bernard Zorowski, with me with Measured Risk Portfolios, and we're on the Know Your Options podcast today with Matt Page with Lucas Group Financial Planners, Inc., and they're up in Sacramento, California. So, Matt, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, you bet. So, tell us a little bit about your journey into financial services, Matt. When did you start and what got you uh, motivated for the business? Yeah, well, you said we only have a, about a half hour. I don't know if that's going to be enough time, but um, I started when I was pretty young, actually. I, I got interested in stocks when I was a teenager. I had jobs, you know, working for contractor, those types of things, earn a little bit extra cash. And my father at the time suggested we would go down to the local Schwab office, uh, shout out to Schwab, and uh, let, open up a custodial account. And I started buying some stocks back when I was in my teens. And back then, of course, you looked at the newspaper and you could see how they were going up and down. And that was kind of fascinating. Well, that kind of parlayed into a studying finance at University of Oregon. And while I was up there, I actually got a job for the local Morgan Stanley office and worked for an old school stockbroker. This is during the late 90s. So you folks that were around during that era remember it was a very interesting time in the stock market. We had a lot of bubble uh, activity with the tech boom going on. And so our little tiny office in Eugene went from, I think, about 10 advisors to almost 50 within the few years I was there. I was there as a sales assistant. I was a full-time student. Uh, but it was interesting to get a front row seat to that era in our industry. And of course, I was around when the thing crashed and left school, I finished school and left Eugene and moved to the Bay Area. So I actually got out of the business for a while. I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. Did some banking, worked for a, a go-kart manufacturing company for a couple of years, and then moved to Sacramento. And when I moved to Sacramento, I really wanted to get back in this industry, but I wanted to take a different path. I wanted to be on the independent side. I was really interested in doing financial planning. During that time in my life, my father, unfortunately, had passed away unexpectedly. And I really got a front row seat to what what the lack of planning can do uh, in that kind of a, a situation. And so I knew that I didn't want to necessarily be doing stocks. I wanted to do comprehensive financial planning. Fortunately, at the time, there was a firm here in town, a small independent firm that was looking for a pair planner, essentially. And so I started working for them, ended up staying for about six years and was eventually doing more of like a hybrid role where I was starting to work with some clients directly. And then I went to another firm as a hybrid person and was there for about three years. And then I joined Lucas Group about eight years ago and became a partner after about a year. And I've been here ever since. And it's been a really great opportunity. My partner is Greg Lucas, and he's been in the business for over 40 years. Uh, so he started the firm in the, in the early 80s. And it's been a great fit. We have shared values, and that's kind of what brought us together in terms of how we view the financial planning industry. And we really focus on comprehensive financial planning and doing a great job servicing our clients. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Bernard, I think this is one of his things. We're probably going to say it every time we have these podcasts, but the planning really is kind of essential to 
know what it is you're trying to build for the clients when it comes to the portfolios. You know, otherwise, yeah. we didn't. Yeah. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One of my so favorite lines. Actually. Really, the, the most important role you see with your clients is in developing the plan. The plan comes first, right? Yeah, we always start with the plan first. And as you folks know, and, and other advisors will know, a lot of times clients come to you with an itch that needs to be scratched. So we always make sure we address that itch. It could be, you know, somebody passed away, they're about to retire, all those kind of things. Um, but we really want to, once we've addressed whatever that itch may be, we take a step back and focus on their full financial lives. And I always use the analogy of it's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle. So when we're starting to work with a new client, we have all these pieces of the puzzle uh, and what our job with them is to turn the pieces of the puzzle and try to fit them all together and come up with a plan that's based around what their goals and needs are. And so every client that we work with, we're always starting with that. Now we do have folks that call us and say, gosh, what's the latest stock tip? Or maybe, you know, what should I be doing with silver? Or, I've got money buried in my backyard and all the kind of things that we come across in our business, but we always want to focus on the plan and that's really been one of our great advantages in terms of just getting new clients and making uh, clients feel confident and having happy, content clients over the years is that we do take the time. We're very patient and we're going to go through everybody's financial life to figure out really what's going to be best for them. So what are some of your frustrations you know, with the business? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, we have a really good practice. We're a growing business. So I don't have too much to complain about. I'm sure if I thought about it, I could come up with a few things. But, you know, really at the end of the day, any complaints I would have are things that are quite frankly beyond my control. You know, we see this with uh, the markets or or regulatory things that are kind of really beyond my control. But I got to say, at the end of the day, I really enjoy coming to the office. I enjoy the people I work with. I love our clients. Uh, they love us. And it's really been a great career uh, to have. So there's no major itch, so to speak. <laughs> not, not, not for me, no. But I, I'm happy to scratch our clients' itches for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything um, you can share with us about how you actually are building portfolios for clients? What, uh, what, are the, what are the component parts or how do you start with uh, developing like earnings goal or risk goal or the combination of the two? Yeah. So our portfolio construction is about as interesting as watching paint dry. We believe in really focusing on what a client's needs are in terms of cash flow. So we do use that bucket method where we're using cash for short-term cash needs and then bonds kind of a few more years out and then and then stocks for longer term needs. Fundamentally, what we believe is when we look at history, we know that over long periods of time, stocks should do better than bonds and bonds should do better than cash. Uh, so that's really gonna be our fundamental philosophy. But as we know, for folks that are in this business, uh, people's risk tolerance is all over the map and it can change based on what they had for breakfast. It can change about how they feel that day, what's going on in the markets. Um, so really that's one of the greatest challenges we have because we can put everything on a spreadsheet and print out a great financial plan and come up with an asset allocation that that works well for the client, but you don't really get the test and with, especially with a new client until you go through a market like we had in 2022. 
And, you know, there's certainly life events that can happen. One of the things I learned early on in my career was that, you know, a lot of clients will say liquidity or cash is not necessarily that important to them until all of a sudden it is. Um, And usually it's from an unexpected event in their life. And so we want to make sure that we as planners know that these unexpected events are probably going to happen at some point in somebody's life. So we want to have some cushion set aside. So we're not having to scramble and sell stocks or bonds when the markets aren't cooperating. But quite, quite frankly, if we drill down a little bit in terms of our asset allocation, what we're doing is just getting broad market exposure, mostly through index funds, ETFs. Uh, We do use a handful of active funds, but the majority of our portfolio, and this has evolved over the years, by the way, when I was first getting started in the business, most folks were using load-based mutual funds. There are a few stock pickers out there. The guy I used to work for in Eugene was was an old school stock picker back in the day. But as we've evolved. Uh, we definitely just look for broad-based exposure. And then we do the typical, so we have model portfolios starting at like a 95.5. Uh, so 95% stocks, 5% bonds, cash, uh, obviously for our younger, more aggressive type of clients. And then we go down all the way to you know 20% stock allocation for some of our older clients. And, and the way we're getting our stock allocation, again, is through those index funds and then bonds. It's, it's broad based. We're here in California. So beautiful sunshine, you know, uh, but also very high state income taxes. So we're very cognizant of tax issues that clients have to deal with. So we're always looking at the tax issues that we for the holdings that we're, we're using for clients as well, too. So uh, that naturally steers itself towards a lot of index funds as well. Yeah, so it looks like risk reduction for you is is literally a linear reduction in the amount of equity exposure that you have. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we know that we're making trade-offs, right? So if we have more in stocks, the portfolio should grow more over time, but people need to be comfortable with the volatility that they're going to experience. And so, you know, that's a conversation that we're continually having with clients. Um, One thing when we're reaching out to clients or having our update meetings is we're always asking them, okay, what cash flow needs do you have that are coming up this year that we can anticipate? You know, we can't anticipate everything, but uh, maybe they're going to take a big trip or they're going to buy that RV they've been wanting to purchase. And so we need to make adjustments to the portfolio to absorb those uh, liquidity needs for our clients. Yeah. So, you, you, know, you, were, you were mentioning earlier how you started out with, with you know, mutual funds and stock pickers and this kind of this evolution of product available. Are you, are you seeing any kind of further evolution in the products that, that are being presented to you out in the marketplace where you kind of you know, ETFs, you know, managed mutual funds, that's kind of where the, or do you see anything more out there? Well, Wall Street always likes to go and reinvent the wheel, right? I mean, we saw that with the SPACs this year, they take out these old tools and then they kind of promote them and, and investment bankers can collect a lot of fees off that. But for us, like I said, it's very boring, plain vanilla. If we're fundamentally believing that, you know, we're going to just do as well as the market overall over long periods of time, uh, we're just really focused more on risk mitigation than anything else. So, no, we don't do any of the exotic type of investments. Uh, I've I've seen those over the years kind of not work out. And like I was saying, um, and I know that there's some great companies that offer these and, they, and they're, they're, they're good, but also the liquidity issue sometimes becomes a problem. So what I've seen in the past is a lot of times you can have a product that um, is, you know, negative correlation to stocks or bonds or whatever you, you have, 
But a lot of times you, you have to tie up your money. And like I said, an early lesson I learned in my career was that a client, you could explain all this to a client and they say, okay, I'm okay with tying up my money for some portion of time. Uh, and then six months later, they have some sort of catastrophe. And now you're in this position where you're telling the client, well, you can't get all your money or we can only liquidate quarterly and we have to wait yeah. until they just, the board votes on how much they're going to liquidate, all these kind of other issues right. that play into that. So we just try to avoid that completely and, and focus just on stocks, bonds, cash. You know, we look at commodities, we look at REITs, all those kind of things too. But it's really that classical asset allocation model that we're, we're focused on. The modern portfolio theory, the, the Harry Markowitz kind of research back, back yeah. test and stuff. Cool. All right. Larry, did you had a question? Well, you know, one of the questions we like to ask our guests is, you know, to the extent that there is anything that does this to you, is there anything that keeps you up at night? You know, when you go, I mean, I understand you're stoked to get in the morning, but uh, like, for instance, you know, we had a pretty rough bond market last year and you just, it's one of those things. So again, if there's anything else or what is it that might keep you up at night when you, when you close the doors at night? Yeah, well, I have an eight-year-old son that likes to come in my bed every once in a while, so he, <laughs> so he keeps me up sometimes. But for the most part, not really. Um, last year was extremely challenging because of the bond market. You know, typically we're explaining to clients that bonds are the ballast of the portfolio. They're going to help weather the storm when the stocks, you know, start getting crazy. But quite frankly, obviously. Bonds were down double digits last year and, and uh, stocks were down. And, and yeah, cash was a safe asset class last year and commodities did really well. Um, but if you factor in inflation, cash really didn't preserve value like people think it, it did. So, you know, we weren't necessarily losing sleep because, again, we're focused on that cash flow modeling. So we want to model what our clients are going to need for cash flow purposes and really kind of set that aside and so, you know, we we weathered that storm, I think, as best as we could. Our clients are patient with us. They've been through, you know, bad markets in the past. But this, the combination of poor performance for stocks and bonds was very unique. It's only happened a few times, as you guys probably know, in the last hundred years, yeah. where we get these double digit negative returns. Uh, so, you know, fortunately, we got that out of the way for the statistical, <laughs> you know, outlier out of the way, hopefully for a while. Um, but yeah, it was certainly a challenging year, but fortunately, we, we seem to weather that okay. To what extent do you attribute or, or measure like dividends within your portfolio or, or sustainability of dividends? Do you, does that play any role in your in your modeling, or is it something that you know, it's just added to the overall return? Yeah, so I love dividends. I think it's great. We did have an allocation overweight to dividend-paying stocks coming into 2022, you know, it, it really just depends on where we are in the micro market cycle. So I think currently I, I do still like dividend paying stocks. We've all seen the charts that show, you know, if you just invested in the S&P, your return over this period of time was X. But if you reinvested those dividends, it's Y, which is much higher. Um, so I think dividends are important. Um, but quite frankly, where we see ourselves now in this current market environment where values really outperform growth for a while um, growth is starting to look more attractive. So we don't get married to any particular idea or concepts. The markets are fluid. What worked last year isn't going to work this year. And so we're just making tweaks and adjustments, but we're we're not going all in on anything, right? We're not going from stocks to cash, backs to stocks, or we're not going all in with growth and, and not having any value. We're always going to have like a lot of different eggs and a lot of different baskets, like we tell our clients. Yeah. Well-diversified. 
Uh, two questions. First is um, custody. Do you guys, where's your primary custody or do you split it amongst a couple of custodians? So uh, it's TD Ameritrade, it's our primary custodian. And, okay. and they've been great to work with. Um, we were a hybrid firm for a number of years. So we had a broker dealer. And then a, several years ago, we decided to become an RA only firm, B only firm. And uh, we selected TD as our custodian. Obviously, they're merging with Schwab and that acquisition process continues to unfold. And like any change, there's you know been some headaches along the way. Uh, but lately, it seems like they've improved their servicing to us. You know, the end user, the, the the clients haven't really noticed much yet because their statements still see TD Ameritrade. The website still says TD Ameritrade. But uh, for the most part, you know, as big as those two firms are, it's it's been okay as far as the 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 acquisition process. And uh, follow up with like the portfolio construction tools. I assume you're not using an Excel spreadsheet. Do you use any of the no. off rack type of things or Morningstar? Uh, you know, or- cocktail napkin and Crayolas. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So we use iReval, uh, which is the TD product uh, for portfolio uh, construction. Uh, certainly Morningstar is part of that for analysis. Black Diamonds are reporting software. Um, so we're really happy with the suite of tools. We use Redtail as our CRM. It all integrates, you know, the CRM and the Black Diamond and iReval and all these kind of things. So that's one of the neat things in our industry, I think, over the last 20 years. It's just seeing how technology has gotten so much better. Because I remember when I did start 20 years ago, we did have financial planning software, but there are still a lot of spreadsheets uh, going around or Morningstar Principias and those kind of things. It was much more manual process, uh, which mean more labor, you know, to get reports out and those types of things and do analysis than it is today. It's just, it's really cool. Some of the tools we used to pay quite a bit for are now available through some of our vendors. You know, we can get Morningstar access through, through Vanguard, for instance, it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. I didn't hear the planning software. I don't think any of those. Oh, e-money. Yeah. We use e-money, um, great cash flow based process, and it ties in with our asset allocation because we're focused on cash flow needs when we're helping clients determine their asset allocation and e-money for those folks that use it are familiar with that. It's a very uh, cash flow type of uh, retirement planning uh, software. So it, it works really well for us. Yeah. So you've got uh, four, sounds like four platforms of software. And if you could, you think it would be better if it was in one place or are those components really you know, approachable and workable for you. Yeah. And maybe there is a software out there that does it all. I haven't come across it just yet. You know, that's like your custodian, your portfolio. But um, I I get the feeling that, you know, there's probably a reason why like a car company doesn't make Tupperware. Like, you know, the companies are very good at what they do. And I think right now with what we have, we're very happy with the Black Diamond for reporting and our custodian and our e-money and everything. So yeah, for us, what we're using now is great. So how about staff development? Any any techniques there that you can share or that you don't want to share? <laughs> I'm an open book. I'll share every, everything with okay. you guys, all the trade secrets, you know? So yeah. yeah, we've been very fortunate. We've got a great staff uh, right now. We've, we have uh, our operations person. She's been here for over 10 years. Uh, she knows TD Ameritrade like the back of her hand. We have, uh, her name's Laura Job, And then we have Matt Jude, who's our, Pair planner essentially. Um, he's been here for about five years. 
And he's just gotten a CFP recently. He's kind of that Gen 3. So Greg Lucas, Gen 1, me, Gen 2. Matt Jude is looking like Gen 3. And very happy with how everybody is working together. And then we actually hired an intern uh, just about a year ago from Sacramento State, has a personal financial planning program as part of their curriculum. And so we have this natural feeder for, for interns. And she's graduating in the spring. And uh, she wants to stay here and we want to keep her here. So it looks like, you know, she'll be working uh, full time when she's done with school. And she's been a great addition as well, too. So I hear from other advisors that I speak to of challenges, uh, interns not working out, staff not working out. Uh, We treat our staff well, we pay them well, and we work that old saying, right? We're we're slow to hire, quick to fire. Fortunately, we haven't had to fire anybody. But um, and and the way we found some of our staff, quite frankly, was just on Craigslist. You know, we we actually found some. We we went through a lot of frogs before we found our princess our prince. But uh, we did find some really good staff folks just through Craigslist. Yeah, that is, it's actually pretty remarkable now because I'm. I'm sitting here and we use e-money for financial planning. We use Redtail for our COM. We are on TD Ameritrade primarily and we use iReval for rebalancing and we use White Diamond for performance reporting. So, <laughs> and we found some of our employees on Craigslist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we usually ticked uh, really all the boxes. It's pretty, you know, it's yeah. pretty fun. So, pretty comedic. Awesome. What else can we talk about? There's, um, there's an open ended question of if you could you know, improve one thing uh, in your practice? Do you think there's something that, there's anything missing or in the industry-wide? Well, as far as industry-wide, I mean, we're always trying to improve, you know, the, the regulations I think are necessary. Some, they don't feel as cumbersome now that we don't have a broker dealer. You know, we're seeing a lot of consolidation. So, that, I mean, my partner and I, quite frankly, have had that conversation as far as they're looking at bigger firms. Um, but at the end of the day, like I was talking about early on, you know, complaints and and really things that we can't control are things that maybe I would complain about if I did. Um, one thing we can control is whether we sell to a bigger firm or not. So we like having control. We like being able to decide who we're going to use for a custodian or a reporting software, and if we're going to go to this conference or that conference or whatever. So, um, you know, that's not really an ongoing conversation in terms of acquisitions, but I've seen a lot of it out there. Yeah, I, I think for the most part, you know, the industry seems to be going towards a fee-based or fee-only model. I think, you know, and there's a lot more transparency in terms of disclosures that are required to give to clients. Now, whether the clients actually understand those and read those, it's a whole nother podcast, but um, at least that information's out there. And it's something that we have to discuss, you know, with our clients as far as what's in their best interest. If we're recommending a rollover from a 401k to an IRA, uh, it's forcing, you know, those kind of conversations. So I, I think for the most part, you know, the industry is on the right track as far as the regulatory environment is concerned. As far as my practice, I mean, we could always use more clients, more business. You know, our clients come from our referrals and primarily from existing clients. So that's kind of how we grade ourselves. You know, are our clients happy? And if they're happy, they're going to be sending us new business along the way. Um, so we're growing very steadily. We're very happy with that, but you know, you could always grow more. Um, and now we're not looking to become some giant firm or anything, but it's just, 
nice to have a good, solid, you know, set of prospects and folks that you're being introduced to on a regular basis. Uh, so that's something that can, we're continuously trying to improve and, and getting more introductions to folks. Do, yeah, do you have any kind of marketing plans or like seminar things that you do or anything like that? Or what are your initiatives in that space, if any? Well, I'm out on the street holding a sign, spinning the sign around, you know, every every few weeks. <laughs> we'll work for food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so we actually are part of uh, a marketing program, the Academy of Preferred Financial Advisors. We've been part of this program for a number of years. Um, they help us out with a lot of the materials, newsletters, presentations. They have conferences we go to with like-minded advisors. Uh, so we're swapping stories constantly about what's working for this practice or that practice. So really, for me, the way I built my client base was through networking. So getting in touch with centers of influence and I'm 44, I just turned 44 a few weeks ago. Uh, Thank you. But uh, when I first started, I didn't, I'm not from Sacramento. I didn't know anybody really in this town. And so I had to go out there and meet people. And a lot of the folks that were well-established in their careers, the CPAs, the attorneys, they already had advisors they were working with. So I started to get to know folks that were in a similar demographic to myself, and we've all kind of grown up together, right? So the the CPA that was just getting started in their career is now a partner, or the estate planning attorney that was just getting started in their career is now owns their own estate planning firm or something. So that's been helpful too, because I I didn't have a way to really build out clients initially from an organic standpoint. Uh, and I wasn't cold calling. I did that back in my Dean Winter days and, and uh, was not very good at it <laughs> uh, and did not enjoy that. But anyway, so that was kind of the organic way to grow. And then as you start developing clients, you get this compounding effect where you have happy clients and they refer people to you and they're happy and then they refer more people to you. It was not an overnight success. It definitely took a very long time. And I think going back, if I could tell myself, my younger self something, it would be just to be patient with yourself, you know, that this, this too will come if you're doing the right thing for your clients and and they're happy with the services that you're providing, uh, they will bring in that business. It just takes time. Well, I think um, we've talked about your portfolio construction and the primary planning as the, as the primary planning role. I'm trying to think of a interesting way of putting this, but on, on the planning side of things, cash flow is the, the most important. What's maybe the most interesting, you know, without disclosing anything too, too personal, the most interesting planning objective that you've had to meet for somebody? Well, as far as the goals that we've had to, to deal with, you know, there's, unfortunately, it's it's usually the more challenging ones where it's a, a family member is not well, right? Like there's an adult child who's got addiction issues, is not, you know, capable of inheriting a sum of money and, and managing it, being a good steward of those funds. Uh, perhaps it would be actually, you know, fatal to them to, to inherit those kind of things. So, you know, as I've kind of grown up in this business and been doing this for a number of years, when you're first starting out, it's really about getting the knowledge and the education and those types of things. And then as you get comfortable with that, it's really more about the psychological aspects and the you're almost like a therapist, right? To some people, and you get to know them intimately and you get to see this front row view of 
the cycle of life, right? We, we have clients that are younger and they're just starting out with families and college savings. And then we have clients that are dealing with teenage kids and I'm, I'm kind of in that phase now. So I see the very front row of that. And then you have clients that are getting close to retirement and some of the anxiety that they feel around that. And then of course, you know, clients that are elderly and they're dealing with their healthcare and, and these types of things. And so, you know, for me, that's really where I've continued to try to improve just the, the questions I ask, the relationship that I'm, uh, I would develop with clients over time is really focused on more than just the cash flow and the numbers and those kind of things. I think clients glaze over a lot of that, right? Like ultimately they want to know that they're going to be okay. And I think early on in my, my career, I learned, you know, I had a client or prospect coming in and, and this was like our second meeting. So I'd done the plan. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a great plan. It was, you know, thick. Cause back then I was doing thicker plans. And, right. and uh, anyway, you know, I could tell after about 20 minutes of me talking about their investments and insurance and whatever, they were like falling asleep. And I said, well, what, what's going on here? Why are they not keen in? And so I just kind of skipped to the back of the plan. I said, look, you're on track to retire in five years. And they lit up. They're like, oh, I am? Great. I mean, we could just end up the meeting, right? Like they just wanted to know that. And I've, that's a lesson that I learned the hard way early on. But now when I'm having those second meetings with clients that you know they're interested to know if they can retire, right? Scratching that itch. I'll just start the meeting off with that. Because until yeah. I scratch that itch, they're not going to listen to what I'm saying. Like they they don't care about the investment. They might care, but they're not going to really pay attention. Especially if you've got spouses dealing with you know what one what one person's interested in is perhaps not what the other person is interested in. So you need to know what both of them are there for. And there's all these sort of interesting dynamics that we just get to see unfold. And and I always joke like I studied finance in in college, but I should have really studied psychology because so much of what we're dealing with at the end of the day as we're interfacing with clients is about psychology, you know, how they think about their money, how they think about their lives, their values, whether they're trying to pass on to the next generation, all those types of things. Uh, I think there's a fascinating, that, that may be the single best gem you've just shared with us, frankly, is, you know, get to the point and make a, make a recommendation or at least validate what, what something's happening because yeah, there's, there's, I probably suffer from sometimes, um, assuming that if I give a client a lot of information, they'll, they'll come to a good conclusion and not realizing that, no, they don't really want to make that information. They would rather just be told what needs to be done. So yeah, uh, getting to the point and getting it solved is important. Keep it sweet and simple, right? The, the, kiss, the kiss, kiss principle. principle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we live in a world that's full of investment choices, full of investment advisors. And that's why we created the show here. It's just uh, profile different firms and different approaches and let people know that they can have different approaches to solving these financial problems and have the right choice for them. So really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Matt, is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't? I think we've covered everything, actually. Um, you know, if predictions of the stock market, I suppose, or, uh, <laughs> you know, anything. If you want to go out on, you know, on a, on a high note and make a prediction about what's going to happen in 2020. Yeah, I, I, this is this is a stretch here, guys. I'm going to say over the long term that stocks will outperform bonds and bonds will outperform cash. <laughs> well, perfect. Whoa, hold the presses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, All right well, guys. Well, thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, we can't finish on a better note than that. So we'll wrap it up for today. And thanks very much for coming, Matt. All right, take care, guys.